Jack O'Connor said, don't ever read a paper. You're kind of thinking, why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me? It opens up something that you do not want opened. You the only have to be thing intercounty players should be looking at or listening to is the football podcast. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts. Off the ball. Daily. Welcome along to Wednesday night's Off the Ball. It is Will with you again. We've got a pack show coming up. John Mon, who was in charge of Clare when they beat Kerry in the 1992 Munster final, will be joining us alongside Neil Ewing to preview this weekend's Provincial Deciders after 8 o'clock. Half past seven, we're going to have Wednesday night rugby, Fiona Hayes and Rory O'Connor. And Dan McDonald is here with me all night. How are you getting on, Dan? It's a pleasure, Will. I'm good. Richie McCormick is with us as well. Uh, how many points clear are bows at the top of the table, Rich? Just the four. Just, Just the, the four. four. Still the four. I'm glad, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad Dan has taken time out from taking food from uh, horsey types' mouths <laughs> over the last week or so. That's, that's obviously uh, been I'm my a, motivation, Richard. Li- yeah. Listen, clearly, Dan. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, you, you're you somebody who walks around with a sandwich board around Dublin City Centre saying, I hate racing. <laughs> and I think it's about time you got called out on it. I mean, I'm actually, when I think about it, I'm probably a substantial contributor to this yeah. fund. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm right, Jack. Of all people for I'm this just, to I'm be just like, I'm just thinking about this now. Like, I, mean, I'm, I don't need to sit down and actually start and process uh, how much money. <laughs> I've spent on horses and bad bets and my god why did you bring that up Richie this is a really bad way to start the show it's a really, it's a really bad start, way to start the show but there you go yeah no that's that's it you know I mean get me my pink shirt and take me to Aintree because that's obviously um, something I feel strongly about or actually not at all uh, and it may just be a valid talking point that isn't an attack on racing. It's just uh, it's just the exploration of how public funds are spent, which people seem to be uh, afraid of talking about or maybe apologising for doing so. Um, so which, just to clarify, you're not tying yourself to Beecher's Brook by the end of tonight. Unlikely, unlikely okay, to do so. Enough. I mean, I've thought about that previously for different reasons, you know, but um, <laughs> just to just to stop the race, you know. But um, otherwise, uh, no, that's not on the agenda. Given, Dan, we'll talk about this a bit later on around the uh, stories that you've been running over the last week or so and even the bit of back and forth that there was today. Have you been a little bit surprised about the backlash here? Because, I mean, you're a guy who's a racing fan. Yeah, I look, I mean, I look, I look, I, you know, you can't sort of, shouldn't really personalise it, but I mean, I am a racing fan and like I sort of, I uh, I consume a lot of racing media, you know, and, and I, I understand, I think, you know, a lot of elements of racing, the costs of racing, how it works, how it operates, um, you know, even the, the perception of their governing bodies um, and, and certain decisions and issues they've made. And I, I am conscious that it's probably an easy rebuttal to this to say, well, look at the FAI. I mean, they're a joke. And I mean, you know, I, I, the FAI are still battling with that reputational damage and will do for some time. And it's an easy... It's an easy win, I suppose, to, to make that point. And you even see today, um, generally, like, you know, probably some other colleagues of mine wouldn't necessarily agree with the uh, um, the publication of this report or the FAI going this way. Um, but to me, some of the language around that is very much in in keeping with the sort of forelock tugging approach that sometimes I think is characterised um football's relationship with government over a period of time um, it hasn't really worked I appreciate there's a complicated issue naturally and it's a very easier but I mean the FBI has had a bailout in recent years it's had help um, but you're probably talking about a consistent stream of funding for the participants within it and I'm not entirely comfortable with, with language that seems to suggest that because you have received that help um, that there's almost a punishment there which ultimately affects a lot of the people who participate and and play in the games you know and play the game um, and it shouldn't like take away from the ability to raise questions about this subject because look I don't believe personally this is going to in any way lead to um, 
you know, dramatic cuts in, in funding to horse and greyhound racing. I think you can tell um, from the lobby that they have that is particularly strong that they will be fine. I mean, you have this very unusual situation, it would appear, where like the Minister of Agriculture is completely in control um, of the amount that can be allocated um, to those sports, which obviously in a in the way the Irish political system works um, is a very useful tool. And I think, you know, the assumption that like, you know, the, the Department of Agriculture or the respective even opposition spokespeople on agriculture are suddenly go down the road of questioning this when this comes up for consideration. Um, it's not particularly realistic. Um, but I think s- some of the elements of the debate around this for me um has been an element of play the the man rather than the ball in defence um, at times. And, and look, I understand people would say that that's where the FAI started from. But there has been a lot of stuff about, you know, this report has been carried out on a false premise. Um, like the report in question is analysing the history of a fund that has, without you know any dispute, you know pumped 1.5 million of public money into uh, two sports or industries in the space of 20 years. Um, there is obviously a dispute around um, how has that been allocated. You know the terms and conditions of how that. And I know people maybe listening to this may not have followed this story, so I'm conscious of mm. bringing them into the weeds and not getting them back. But you know the concept of reviewing. Uh, that spend of public money in the context, I suppose, of sports funding in Ireland being a difficult climate. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. And I appreciate people have an issue with maybe um, the public nature of it. Um, But again, I'm not comfortable with some of the tone around that. Like you see today, well, it would appear that several, you know, ministers are, are, you know, prominent ministers are are unhappy with this. and then sort of placed in the context of, oh, you have to get daily mount done. It's almost like, oh, so you're going to be in the bold boys corner now. Like you're going to be pu- punished for for this. Um, and, and that is it's like, you know, this whole approach of like um, being reasonably quiet and not saying a huge amount over a period of time, I don't think has served Irish football at times particularly well. It doesn't realise or probably occasionally like advertise well enough what it serves. Um, and that extends to other sports too. Like Charlie McConnell, like the Minister for Agriculture last week, making the point um, and this was probably viewed as a, a, a positive I think I, I sort of felt like it was one of these things that probably should have read it before saying it you know um, that you know the, 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 the contribution to horse racing um, this year or last year um, is, is 72 million euro this contrasts with the government's investment of sport which I think was 156 or 166 that's all sports and that 72 million is 80% of a figure with the other 20% going to greyhound racing which in a weird way this becomes a little bit about horse racing because they are very front facing and there's glamorous figures involved with it that, and including you know in our you know paper and stuff naturally you have pictures of horse racing accompanying it and the big owners but I mean the, the spend on greyhound racing and um, some of the more robust defenses um, from the horse racing world they don't play that card too much um, and that one is probably even more uh, unpalatable and people are entitled to ask questions about where their money is spent um, I, I don't think you should apologise for doing that personally No and look I think the argument when it comes to football as well just because football got a bailout before 
doesn't mean they shouldn't be able to tap into the pie, particularly, as has been pointed out, with the amount of money that comes through uh, gambling in this country through yeah. the levy on football. I'm not necessarily saying that that means you should get directly correlated 40% No, you of can the debate funding. that point. Yeah, you but can completely debate that you point. You can make the argument for it. Though. Yeah, you can't shut down that debate. And like, I think what's probably striking about it, like attempts to shut down debate with some questionable defences suggesting, and again, I'm conscious of getting bogged down into the weeds mm. when people haven't been reading this, but I think people will see statements um, from various government ministers and figures um, talking about how you know, since 2009 there's been no relationship between betting tax income and uh, the funding of horse and greyhound racing um, and yet you look in the public record and there's like countless uh, instances of um, including Minister for Agriculture at one point talking about how increasing the betting tax or increasing the, the scope of betting tax which was a big sort of political issue in the mid 2010s or so was linked with increasing um, the the, the the contribution to the horse and greyhound racing fund, um, so I, I find that defence just just you know it's 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 I, I'm not sure like it's sort of making the 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 whole discussion trying to make it go away with a little bit of wordplay which can be easily picked apart and well I mean they can they have the power you know they have the power to control this. Uh, debate, but I, I, I feel like I just I find it weird that people are saying, "Well, you need to be careful about going down this road." Um, I don't think that's worked particularly well over a long period of time. No, we'll talk about it again a little bit later on because there's another. Uh, I think it's another public committee that's coming up uh, very soon that we'll get a chance to uh, watch on these streams over the next few days as well. Uh, the news round, of course, is brought to you by Gillette Labs. <laughs> get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Richie, plenty of football on the box tonight as well. There is indeed. Uh, Manchester City can once again go top of the Premier League table tonight. They welcome West Ham to the Etihad. Knowing a win, we'll see them move a point above Arsenal and still have a game in hand. Uh, one crucial change for City tonight. Ederson has dropped to the bench for the first time in the Premier League this season. So Stefan Ortega starts in goal for them. Kyle Walker captains the side in amongst a back four that also includes John Stones, Ruben Diaz and Nathan Aki. In midfield then you've got Rodri, Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez. Julian Alvarez and Jack Grealish are in support of Erling Haaland. Uh, West Ham without Declan Rice tonight Lucas Fabianski starts in goal a back four Vladimir Tsufal Tilo Kerr Angelog Bonna and Aaron Cresswell Emerson's on the left hand side of that defence Flynn Downs Lucas Paqueta and Pablo Fernals are in midfield Jared Bowen supports Mikel Antonio up front tonight's other game is at Anfield where Liverpool entertain Fulham Alisson is in goal as always for Liverpool a back four then of Trent Alexander-Arnold Ibrahima Kanate Virgil van Dijk and Costas Simicas. midfield is Fabinho Jordan Henderson Curtis Jones and a front three of Luis Diaz, Mo Salah and Darwin Nunez. For Fulham, it's Bert Leno in goal. A couple of changes for them, one of which is at right back and sees Cedric Swarsh start at right full. Tossin Arab-Bayaro is in their defence along with Issa Diop and Anthony Robertson. Sasa Lukic comes into their midfield alongside Joao Palinha. In um, front of them, Tom Kearney, former Liverpool man Harry Wilson and Carlos Vinicius. William is their false nine tonight. Kickoff in both games is at 8pm. Yeah, it's not a bad situation for City to be in, Dan. I know the headline, obviously, will be Ortega coming in to play in goal mm. as opposed to Ederson. But again, they can play Mahrez now, not play him in the next game. They can kind of mix and match with the squad they have, which they're probably going to have to do a bit with these two games at Madrid coming up over the next few weeks too. Yeah, and I think that was always the the main thing around this title race. Like, where would they be at around the Madrid games in terms of the, but even the, maybe the mental load of the title race, you know, and... Um, it feels like you, know, you get the points on the board tonight, you retain, like you're, you're back top of that game in hand. It feels like they have that little bit of a cushion. I know Arsenal won last night, but I mean that's a Chelsea story as much as an Arsenal one. Um, 
and it, it just feels like they've I mean it's not that they were lucky but I mean the fixtures around the Bayern game and the fact that they killed it really in the first leg you know allowed them and, and, and that's the, th- the thing with City at various times at the business end of seasons in recent years it feels like they're okay you know it feels like they, they have the ability um, to do that and it feels like we're there again you know and, and I know the flip side is maybe you know they've been so on point the last couple of weeks because they needed to, to get to that place and now they probably have that little bit of a a degree of comfort where you wonder does an element of complacency maybe seep in because they have the sort of um, it's like the old like 15 to 1 back in the day they have a couple of lives here you know with their points difference they can they can, they can let one go at some stage um, and it's not the end of the world whereas it felt a couple of weeks back when Arsenal were flying they needed to win everything it's not the case anymore yeah um, good update Richie earlier from Seamus Coleman on Instagram about his knee injury yeah, especially seeing as people feared the worst really on Monday night. Seamus Coleman could well be fit for the Republic of Ireland's Euro 2024 qualifiers next month after all. The Everton captain says he avoided ACL damage having been stretched off in Monday's 2-2 draw with Leicester. It is hoped Coleman will be fit for Ireland's games with Greece and Gibraltar. No firm time frame on his return. He merely says he'll be back soon. Yeah, we're talking about Seamus Coleman last night with Dominic King when we were talking mm. about Everton and uh, that natural concern was there among Everton supporters. His contract was running down. They were hoping that it wasn't going to be a season end and maybe even his last game for the club in that case I mean this is very good news there's no ligament damage because that had to be the first fear when he was getting stretched off yeah well, I suppose there's no ACL damage we'll see like if there's other ligament damage that can be problematic I mean I was trying to suss out today you know with the Ireland stuff and I, I feel like that would probably be guarded for a while and, and also you need to um, e- even if positive updates are, are made like you just have to probably with this type of thing um, I'm not an elite athlete but I've had a quite a few knee problems you still have to monitor it over a period of time and um, you know uh, you know, rehab can, can can sometimes move slower than you might think. Um, the timeline isn't weighted in his favour with, uh, you know, with the, the end of the season. I mean, I think, you know, Stephen Kenny has made the point consistently with Coleman. Sometimes he's been very hard on his body by playing through the pain barrier all the time, which is great. Like, it speaks to his character, like his selfless nature. Um, but, but obviously, you know, there's, there's an element here of the stage of the career he's at. You're always wary of, of rushing it unnecessarily too um, so I think there's a lot of factors to balance but it's great I mean look I was up in Derry at the time on Monday you see the video like a lot of people do and it's like oh no you know and, and as much as I wasn't mad on rushing to like declaring oh, that, that's that you know because it's 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 not always again straightforward with these issues um, it looked like such a shocker it was natural to probably lean into that method of thinking Big Sam is back at Leeds as we expected Richie and yeah. he's got Robbie Keane for company. Yeah, all the best things start at uh, Soccer Aid. Will, Sam Allardyce has been formally tasked with saving Leeds from relegation. The Premier League strugglers sacked Javi Gratia this morning, who lasted only 11 games in the top flight. They've lost four of the last five, conceding 18 goals in that time frame and are outside the drop zone and goal difference alone. Now, Allardyce's first game in charge will be away to Manchester City at the weekend, and he's to be assisted by former Oxford boss Carl Robinson and ex-lead striker Robbie Keane. Allardyce was asked how that particular partnership came to be. Well, trying to shut him up in the first place is the first thing. Like, I mean, can we stop talking? But, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I've known Robbie for quite a while and um, we've talked on many occasions about about him his getting into coaching and about the fact that he uh, worked with him at Soccer Aid a few few times and all that. So I really I, I really liked his personality and, um, and, and obviously he's in my mind to come in and give everybody a lift not not just by his, his coaching 
methods for the front men particularly and the strikers because obviously goals are very important but also the fact that you know he's leads through and through and he loves the place networking soccer aid was an unusual one I mean the mad yeah it's the mad thing about Robbie isn't it that like I mean, this is the power of the the profile of your career. I mean, it's like a Frank Lampard and various people who've benefited from this. It's not a slight on Robbie, but the company he moves in, like he's on UEFA's twenty four person football Technical board. Committee, yeah, you know, and I've you know we've, 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 a couple of the, the Euros draw in Frankfurt last year. Now you'd encounter Robbie there, and he's moving in all the the right circles in the company, and, and naturally um, that can lend itself to to opportunities. Now this is the whole nature of this Leeds thing is a gamble for everyone, but it's sort of a no strings gamble in a way. You know, is Robbie a, getting into these rooms because of his ability on the pitch? Oh well, uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, of course, that's the starting point. Yeah, mm. I mean, uh, sorry, and that's not again, that's not to be negative about his his ability, but if you look at the the profile of say the twenty four players in the UEFA board, like you, you are looking at them as recognisable household names. You're not thinking eh, he wasn't a great player. He, he must be good around the boardroom table. Um, but like again, you know, it's it's. I think he's probably someone who has been a good networker worker and, and particularly with UEFA. And I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know. You see, like you know, Robbie Keane. Um, who's I suppose has come in for criticism in this country in recent times um, but like he is I mean how many Irish players are sort of casually strolling along buying watches with Luis Figo or whatever they're doing uh, in London you know are sort of moving in those circles and that allows doors to open but but obviously you know his, his coaching career so far is, is incomplete we don't know how good he is really um, and that's again you know we'll, we, we want to find out at some stage and I suppose a lot of his ex-teammates are dipping their toe in the water you know, at various levels and um, I suppose this is probably a, a free hit. I mean, I know Robbie's like leads through and through. I mean, they spent a year there, you know, um, but still, um, I, I think, you know, but yeah, in saying that, you do probably, I don't know, if you think of Robbie's career, and I'm asking you, yes, you think of Spurs you first Spurs and foremost. Spurs through, don't you? I think of Spurs, yeah. yeah. Um, and what do you think of next? I sort of wondered, do I think? Like, yeah. Wolves. Wolves, do you think? yeah. Just a breakthrough, yeah. Leeds were committed because I don't know because the, the Inter Milan thing, but then Leeds is sort of linked to that. I don't know, like you can. They were all fairly short. You kind of forget how short those little spells were. Like the Coventry one was particularly short. Inter, for obvious reasons, was short. Leeds before he went to Spurs was short. Liverpool was short. So really, it's only nice Spurs that is does. Uh, really LA stuck. Galaxy, sorry, LA ah, Galaxy yeah, is yeah, probably yeah. that's fair. Yeah. You know, it's wrapped yeah, in yeah. His, his his identity in the last decade. You know, second half of his career, but. Again, like that, that I mean, the, that time in Leeds was so fraught. I don't know what the Leeds fan view of that is. Like, is he is he welcome back as a as a Leeds legend when he pops up at games in Ellen Road? Maybe he is. Mm. Uh, quite the situation, Richie. That Big Sam has landed himself in here too. Mm. If the reports are correct, and Adam Pope was with us in the BBC last night, and he was saying that the rumours on the ground in Yorkshire yesterday were five hundred thousand pounds a week a bonus of around £2 million if he keeps him in the Premier League. Given that Leeds currently sit outside the relegation zone, in mm. theory, he could lose all four games and still pocket around £4 million quid. Man's an absolute genius. Um, he's, uh, like, it's a strange one. He's he's on a, like, he's talked himself up hugely in his press conference today. There were other parts where he's compared himself to uh, Guardiola and Klopp and Arteta uh, and others in terms of his experience within the game and he seemed to be a little bit... Uh, 
feisty that he hasn't received a call until now, until this point in the season, when I think most people presumed he was more or less retired. Um, but if he does manage to keep them up, like he's he's, he's done a huge job uh, in a short space of time, but there's a lot to do. Uh, but then if he does keep them up, the question is, do Leeds keep him on? Because they've just sacked their sporting director, so they're completely rudderless in how they're heading into the summer, bar Radriazzini and the, and the owners there. So, like... I, it's a, such a baffling situation at Leeds that they could find themselves with a manager they don't really want through sheer dint of the fact that he's kept them up. And it's not what a club like Leeds with the squad profile and the age profile that they have in that squad that they, they probably need at this point in time. But they just left it too late to sack uh, Jesse Marsh. And this is the situation they found themselves in. Yeah, I think the audio is ready there. Pete has got it of Allardyce speaking earlier. These were um, some of the more Stephen Ireland style claims he made today. I might be 68 and look old, but there's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not, not Klopp, not Arteta. So it's all there with me, um, and I share it with them. They, 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 they do what they do. I do what do what I do. But in terms of knowledge and depth of knowledge. I'm up there with them. I'm not saying I'm better than them, but certainly as good as they are. There you go, Dan. I'm not saying I'm better, but I'm saying I'm just he, as good. He said Arteta's name like someone who found pasta on their menu at the Sunday roast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, Arteta? You know, no, 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 no. It's just like, good God, yeah, you wish him well. Yeah, yeah I, I saw the BBC Sounds podcast, which I think was recorded a while ago as well, it has kind of resurfaced today too, where basically Sam was like, Ah, you know, these new modern managers like Guardiola, they're not playing football the right way. A flick on and a volley into the goal is real beautiful football. Mm. Ah, and, I mean, a lot of people would uh, agree with that point of view. Um, you know, maybe close to home as well at certain times. So, I mean, yeah, like it's... I mean, he's had so many success stories. I know West Brom wasn't terrific. Um, it's the one that's stolen that line that we always rabbited out as journalists, which was, man's never been relegated. Yeah, it's a, it's a slight issue. Um but I suppose the nature of Leeds, I mean, they've been porous at times and, and um, you know, you can see with, with, with Robbie and is it, is it Carl Robinson as well, is it? I think, mm. is it the other member? Like, Carl, yeah. Yeah, like you, who would be a sort of, um, a bit of a sort of a, from what I hear, even players have, have worked under him, like sort of a lively dressing room presence. So um, they're going for a certain type of, um, you know, swagger in a way, you know, and, and see if that can galvanise the team to get a response. And I mean, those like the money you talk about is crazy but if it does keep them up um, by getting some points I mean this, the cost of relegation is such that it's probably worth it in that warped football world that we talk yeah. about all the it's time It's at the point where Leeds are also potentially trying to sell the club on currently and there's so much more um, interesting to investors if they're still in the Premier League of course, that's yeah. where 4 million feels like a drop in the ocean if you manage to turn a profit over on the club yeah. um, from an Irishman who played abroad getting a new role to another Irishman who played abroad getting a new role Richie yeah, Cork City have appointed Liam Buckley as their new sporting director. The former Sligo Rovers and St. Pat's boss will help with player recruitment there and support the club's management on football-related matters. Richie, tell us about a very sad story uh, coming in about an Olympic gold medalist who's passed away at quite a young age. 
Yeah, very shocking news today. Olympic gold medalist Tori Bowie has died at the age of just 32. The sprinter was found dead at her home in Florida and a cause of death has not been released. Bowie was part of the US 4x100m team that won Olympic gold in 2016. Those Rio Games also saw her take silver in the 100m and bronze in the 200. Bowie won the individual gold in the 100 at the World Championships in London the following year in 2017. As I say, just 32 at her time of passing. Watching some of the videos of the PSG fans this evening, Richie, outside the Parc de Prance, I've got a feeling Leo Messi might not even play for them again. Yeah, he's widely reported to be leaving Paris Saint-Germain at the end of this season. The 35-year-old has apparently rejected a one-year extension on offer to him in Paris. His former club Barcelona and Saudi Arabian club Al-Hilal have also been linked with a move for Messi this summer. He's been suspended for two weeks by PSG without pay. Uh, That's following an unauthorised trip to Saudi Arabia earlier this week that was part of his ambassadorial role in the Gulf State. Yeah. We'll talk about this a bit more in the football show, mm. possibly about how PSG have moved and who's winning maybe the battle for hearts and minds on this one. But yeah, he could potentially come back for the Ozair game later this month, but he's banned from the club even for the two weeks, <laughs> so he won't be training for the two weeks. Reports seem to be that he's already gone to Spain at this stage yeah. uh, to go back to his home in Barcelona. It's, it seems as if PSG are going to cut ties here. You'd wonder, yeah. I watched one of the games recently and the whole... Um, atmosphere around the game is so weird like their fans are like intense you know you mightn't think of PSG in that way because um, you think of them as being nouveau riche yeah but like it's mad and even just different political views within the support within the support and stuff it's a, actually a mad club and sometimes like I watch one of these games where there's this massive noise going on in the background but like there was almost nothing happening on the pitch with all these great players and like it's weird it's like sort of an NBA game with these sort of the Globetrotters or something the Harlem Globetrotters or with with a sort of an ultras atmosphere that is completely out of sync with their approach to the game you know what I mean it's, it's really it's um, really weird Richie before we go Josh van der Fleer uh-huh. potentially could defend his European Player of the Year award here yeah, three Leinster players making the shortlist for the EPCR Player of the Year award. Van der Fleer is one. He could become the first player to win it back-to-back with the back row once again nominated. Joining him on the five-man shortlist are his Leinster teammates Caelan Doris and Gary Ringrose. Also making the cut is Lara Shell number eight, Gregory Aldrit. And rounding out that list is Toulouse Scrum Half Antoine Dupont. The winner of the Anthony Foley Memorial Trophy will be announced after this one's Heineken Champions Cup final with voting open to the public via the EPCR website. And staying with the award theme, the shortlist for TikTok Women's Six Nations Player of the Championship also revealed today. England's grandson winning captain Marley Packer gets the nod, as does her teammate Holly Aitchison. After scoring five tries in the tournament, France centre Gabrielle Vernier also makes the cut. And completing the shortlist is Wales' 19-year-old prop, Cecilia Tuipolotu. Yeah, I think if Josh Vanderfeer wins it uh, this time around, he'll hope it's different to Marseille where he was on a losing side and having to pick up the award uh, while the trophy was being lifted by the opposition team. Uh, if you want to get plenty more uh, rugby podcast goodness, uh, the Rugby Daily, uh, voiced by our own Richie McCormick, oh, is open available right work, now. Yeah. Richie, I'll give you a plug. You give us 20 minutes of news, I'll give you a oh, free sure. plug. You're a good man. You're better than, you're better than Joe in that front, actually, so thank you, Will. Oof. Richie, thanks a million for now. <laughs> uh, Dan is staying with us. We'll have Wednesday Night Rugby uh, coming up in a few moments' time.